my dear listeners, and welcome to Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Gundlach. And as always, I'm committed to bringing you the voices of beloved singers, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. You will also be hearing less celebrated but equally treasurable artists who deserve our attention and respect. I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. And now, without any further ado, let's get down to today's business. Great singers and great singing. Hi, my friends. I don't know how else to put this. It's been a big week for death. We've lost a number of really significant performing artists in various fields of the entertainment industry. The first voice that we are going to hear is Norman Bailey, the great British bass baritone who died this past week on September 15th. Here's his performance of Robert Schumann's setting of Friedrich Röckert Widmung in which he displays both his enormous voice and his assiduous attention to text. This is a 1977 recording with John Constable accompanying. Just a couple days ago, I woke to the very sad news that Jane Powell had also died this past week on September 16th. This is for me a very personal loss because I knew Jane in my last years living in New York. I worked as the personal assistant to her husband, Dick Moore, 
And as such, I often came in contact with her, and she was just a lovely, lovely person. I remember I first met her when she came into the office on her 80th birthday. She was about to go out to lunch. I could go on and on about lots of memories about Jane, but I will just say that she was really a terrific human being, and it was a joy knowing her. I'm just going to offer a few very short excerpts that display the Jane Powell that most people knew and loved, as well as showing some other aspects of her. So first, from her film Three Daring Daughters in 1948, here she is singing a duet version of Edvard Grieg's Springtide with none other than Jeanette MacDonald. Come in. Ilka. She's down having dinner. Why aren't you? Oh, Mommy, I, I just have to talk to you. Not now, dear. Oh, but I must. Ilka and I are so sorry. Gosh, if we'd only Please, know. Please, Tess. Remember this. Now once again have I seen spring at hand and winter of than a single appearance on Broadway, and that was as a replacement to Debbie Reynolds in Irene in the early 1970s. But much of her post-Hollywood performing life was spent on the road with her young children and, I believe, a pet or two in tow as she performed in regional theaters, summer stock, dinner theaters, and those big tents like the Melody Top in Milwaukee, where they would put on musicals. 
I suspect she never appeared in the Rodgers and Hammerstein show Allegro because it wasn't a very tourable or successful show. But in 1951, on November 25th, 1951 to be exact, she appeared in a radio version of Allegro on the Theater Guild on the Air program. And from that, she sings The Gentleman is a Dope. I should note that the great Lisa Kirk whom I have previously featured on the podcast, created the role of Emily in Allegro. And she brings a much brasher, harder aspect to this song, The Gentleman is a Dope. And though I love that, I also like Jane Powell's more vulnerable approach to the song. See what you think. Oh, the trouble with Joe is he's inclined to give too much time to the little things and not enough to the things that count. Oh, I think he's learning, Mrs. Taylor. He's learning fast. Uh, well, if you'll excuse me, Emily, I'm sure you can find your way out. Good night. Good night. The boss gets on my nerves. I've got a good mind to quit. I've taken all I can. It's time to get up and dip and move to another job or maybe another town. The gentleman burns me up. The gentleman gets me down. The gentleman is a dope, a man of many faults, a clumsy Joe who wouldn't know a rumor from a word. The gentleman is a dope, and not my cup of tea. Why do I get in a dealer? He doesn't belong to me. The gentleman isn't right. He doesn't know the score. A cake will come. He'll take a crumb and never ask for more. The gentleman's eyes are blue, but little do they see. Why am I beating my brains out? He doesn't belong to me. He's somebody else's problem. She's welcome to the guy. She'll never understand him half as well as I. The gentleman is a dope. He isn't very smart. He's just a love you'd like to hug and hold against your heart. The gentleman doesn't know how happy he could be. In 
1956, as her movie career was drying up, Jane attempted to go in some different directions, including a jazzy pop album for Verve Records called Can't We Be Friends. I remember when I found a copy of this online and downloaded all of the tracks and burned it to a CD for her. And she was so pleased. I don't think she had heard it in years. She was not a performer who loved to sing. She was very ambivalent about her career and specifically about her singing career. For her, it was hard work. But on this recording, she really seems to be having a great time. This is one of my favorite tracks from the record. It's Comes Love, the pop standard. And she performs here with Buddy Bregman and his orchestra. Another break comes love. 
Finally, I remember very well, because I was working for Dick at the time, when she was asked by Pink Martini, specifically its conductor Thomas Lauderdale, to appear with them at the Hollywood Bowl. This nostalgic date took place on the 10th of September 2010. She was genuinely tickled to be remembered and celebrated in this way, and I can think of no better way to see her off in this mini-segment today than with her performance at that very event of her classic song, Too Late Now, written by Burton Lane and Alan J. Lerner for the film Royal Wedding which she herself had introduced nearly 60 years before. Oh, hi, I'm so glad I came here tonight. I'm so glad that you're here. This really is a thrill again. I have been here many times with Johnny Green and Carmen, uh, Carmen Dragon and Georgie Stoll, and now with Mr. Mr. Thomas and Mr. Thomas and the wonderful Pink Martini Orchestra. I'm very blessed. When I first came to Los Angeles, or Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, was in 1943. I was 14 years old, and I, I know what you're thinking. I'll do it for you. I'm 81. I shouldn't say of course, but I was signed to MGM. And because I was a soprano, they didn't give me many original songs. They always gave me some old Jeanette. No, that's the wrong way to put it. Some songs from, old songs from Jeanette McDonald. <laughs> Anything with a high note, they would give me. And uh, so as I say, I was very limited as far as getting any new material. But tonight I would like to do a few of them for you. And this one, the first one is from Royal Wedding. Oh, 
Rest in peace, dear, dear Jane Powell. Another great singer who died in the month of September, on September 5th, is Carmen Balthrop, who along with her international successes as a singer, also was a dedicated teacher for years and years at the University of Maryland School of Music. I also have three short excerpts in celebration of the life of this singer and artist. I understand just this past week there was a beautiful memorial service for her at the National Cathedral. Let's start with her appearance as Popea. In preparation for this episode, I listened to a wonderful interview that she did in 2011 with the superb musician and arts advocate Patrick McCoy, in which she said that she refused the Baroque conductor Alan Curtis three times because she didn't think the role of Popea was suited to her voice until he finally convinced her that she would be excellent in the role. And as you hear, indeed, indeed she is. There's a live recording that was made in Venice in 1978, and we're going to listen not to the final duet, which is also very beautiful, but instead the scene of Popea in the garden with her nurse Arnalta, where she sings languorously and seductively of the final roadblock in her path to union with Nerone having finally been removed, that is, the death of Seneca. We briefly also hear the Italian tenor Carlo Gaifa as Arnalta. As I say, this is a live recording with Alan Curtis leading Il Complesso Barocco from Venice in 1978. Get 
Carmen Balthrop was also a magnificent recitalist. She put out an album of Spanish and Portuguese songs that's definitely worth exploring. I'm not going to include anything from that today because I found something that I liked even better, and that is a live recording in recital at the Kennedy Center of the final of the Poem Pour Me by Olivier Messiaen, and this is the song Prière Exaucée answered prayer. Here she is accompanied by the pianist José Caceres.
finally, I want to present to you an excerpt of her in the title role of Scott Joplin's Tremonitia, which introduced her to the world. As I learned in the interview with Patrick McCoy, this event came almost exactly on the heels of her winning the Met competition in 19, I think it was 1975. There's a long and fascinating history of this opera. I'm not going to go into that right now, but let's just say that the scholar, jazz musician, and all-around musical jack-of-all-trades, Gunther Schuller, was responsible for orchestrating a self-published piano vocal score of Joplin's opera. There's a beautiful original cast recording of this on Deutsche Grammophon, but I'm going to present you instead a live performance from Houston in 1981 that was subsequently presented on PBS's Great Performance Series. I think it was in 1986. The character of Tremonitia is pretty fascinating. She is the one educated person in this community of former slaves, and she is the voice of common sense and of forgiveness, and of justice. But it's interesting because for all of that, she doesn't really find her voice until the very end of the opera. She's very much acted upon rather than taking an active role until the very end when she advocates forgiveness for those who have kidnapped and tortured her and accepts responsibility of becoming the community's leader. So that's what's happening in this excerpt that I'm going to play for you. It begins with the quasi-aria, There's Need of Some Good Leader, and it's followed by the magnificent finale that's known as A Real Slow Drag. I'm playing from the live version of this performance because I want you to hear how thrilled and excited and participatory the audience is in this joyous, life-affirming opera. So here are Carmen Balthrop and her duet partner in the refrain of the real slow drag, Cora Johnson, and the entire cast of this Houston Grand Opera production conducted by John DeMaine.
Yet another artist that we lost this week, who we heard at the very top, Norman Bailey. Norman Bailey was born in Birmingham on the 23rd of March, 1933. 
In 1947, his family moved to South Africa, where he attended Rhodes University. He originally planned on studying religion, but switched to singing after only two voice lessons. He went on to study at the Universität für Musik und Darstellende Kunst, Wien, known as the MDW, where he studied with, among others, Julius Patzak. Eventually, he became best known in the German repertoire, and specifically in the works of Richard Wagner, although it's interesting that many of those performances were done in English translation under the auspices of the Sadler's Wells Opera, which eventually became the ENO, English National Opera. From one of those performances with Sadler's Wells, I'd like to present an excerpt from the so-called Flieder Monolog from the Meistersinger, the Master Singers of Nuremberg, Reginald Goodall, who was an eminent British Wagner conductor, leads the Sadler's Wells Opera Orchestra. This performance took place in London on the 18th of September 1968, 53 years ago yesterday.
works of Wagner really provided the bedrock of Norman Bailey's operatic repertoire and served to introduce him to audiences around the world. He sings the role of Wotan and the Wanderer, or the Wanderer, in Reginald Goodall's live recordings of The Ring of the Nibelungs from the 1970s, which were legendary in their magnificent casting and the pathbreaking efforts to present these works to English-speaking audiences in reasonable and viable English translations. These recordings are still available. I recommend looking them up. There's a wealth of live Norman Bailey material available in both Wagner and other roles. Another composer for which Norman Bailey felt a great affinity was Giuseppe Verdi. He performed numerous roles of Verdi's, Nabucco, Di Luna, Macbeth, Ford in Falstaff, and others, including Papa Germain, and we're about to hear his performance of Di Provenza il Mar, again in an English translation, Does Your Heart No Longer Yearn? This was a 1975 television production, which also starred the sublime British soprano Elizabeth Harwood. Alexander Gibson leads the Philharmonia Orchestra in this excerpt from the soundtrack of that recording. Does your heart no longer yearn for the land that gave you birth? For the land that gave you birth, does your heart no longer yearn? Will you nevermore return from your exile in the north? From your exile in the north, will you nevermore return? Oh, the bright Provencal sun waits to greet you with its mirth. Let your footsteps once more turn to your golden native earth. Let your Steps once more turn to your golden native earth. Return again, return again, return
also sang significant roles in the operas of Benjamin Britten and Michael Tippett. I'm particularly interested in presenting to you today an excerpt from a 1982 studio recording of Michael Tippett's King Priam, which I consider to be perhaps his operatic masterpiece. This is a scene in which Priam, who has been imprisoned, comes face to face with his estranged son, Paris, played here by the great British tenor Philip Langridge. This scene positively bristles with the tension that these two artists raise. The conductor here is David Atherton leading the London Sinfonietta. What is happening? Am I no longer king? Forced from the walls by my people, locked in my room. Cuba refusing to speak Something is known That I have not been told Oh God Let me out Let me out Unhand me, Mother Hecuba I will see him Grief. 
It's interesting to just assess the voice of Norman Bailey and the technique. The technique was very strong. The voice was a powerful one. It was a rather rough-hewn sound, but sometimes I hear aspects, specifically in his delivery of text, of that other great British baritone, John Shirley Quirk, who admittedly was not a Heldon Baritone, as was Norman Bailey. In 1982, when Norman Bailey was singing Hans Sachs in Wagner's Meistersinger in Cincinnati, he met the soprano Christine Chesinski. The two married in 1983. I'm not sure how often they performed together, but they did appear in a 1991 documentary called The Hidden Life of Alban Berg. The documentary features numerous performances of the work of Alban Berg, filmed specifically for the documentary. I'm going to present to you an excerpt from that film, from the final scene of Lulu. I'm not even sure that Chris Chesinski ever sang Lulu, but she was certainly a fine exponent of the role of Marie in Wozzeck. Christine Chesinski sings Lulu, and Norman Bailey portrays Jack the Ripper, who is about to murder Lulu, and who was, in Berg's design for the piece, the alter ego of Dr. Schoen. Oh, 
these two singers eventually settled in Idaho, and Norman Bailey became a naturalized U.S. citizen. Christine was an advocate for wildlife and a master glider pilot. She was killed in June 2018 in a tragic gliding accident over the Tetons. So for the last three years of his life, Norman Bailey no longer had her companionship. I mentioned earlier what I consider to be the superb technique of Norman Bailey. This next example displays both voice and technique in their full glory. This is a rare 1980 performance of Richard Strauss's penultimate opera, Die Liebe der Danae, in which Norman Bailey was paired opposite the great American soprano Arlene Saunders. I would love to play a duet with both of them, but I found a section at the very end of Jupiter's part in the final scene of the opera, in which Bailey's voice is unfurled with such glory, and it's a solo moment for him, so we won't be hearing Arlene Saunders today. I featured her at other times on the podcast, and who knows if I can assemble enough material of this great but under-recorded artist. I will do a full program on her at some time. But this section begins with the words, Auf dich schuf der Gott. It's a far too complicated plot to go into. Let's just say that Jupiter is here exhibiting an almost Marshallin-like sense of gracious resignation as he realizes that Danae is not in love with him. He appears in this scene incognito, much as Wotan does in Wagner's Siegfried. Danae does not recognize this poor beggar as the god Jupiter, with whom she had once, shall we say, dallied. But he recognizes that she is indeed deeply in love with his rival, Midas, Midas, and therefore makes a gracious and benevolent exit. This is a live radio performance from the 20th of April, 1980, in which Charles McCarris leads the BBC Symphony Orchestra. Menschenhand. 
Norman Bailey was also a superb performer of Lieder and Art Song, and I'm delighted to be able to present several examples from his LPs from the late 1970s. First is the second of Brahms's Vier Ernste Gesänge. Ich wandte mich und sah an. John Constable is again the pianist in this 1977 recording. I have featured Jorma Hörninen in the first song and William Warfield and Yikwe Si in the final song, but I don't believe I've ever played the second song. And now I'm happy that I waited because I don't think I've ever heard a better performance. I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of those who were oppressed, who had no comforter. And on the side of the oppressors, there was power, but they had no comforter. Then I praised the dead even more so than those who still have life and better than both of them are those that have never been born, for they have not seen all of the evil which is done under the sun. Leben hat. 
In 1977, Norman Bailey and the pianist Jeffrey Parsons recorded an album of songs by the enigmatic British composer Peter Warlock, whose real name was Philip Heseltine. Some of those songs are very twee, very British, but here's one set to a poem by Heseltine's friend Bruce Blunt called The Fox that is, again, a very bitter meditation on life and death. Though Bailey's diction is excellent, I'm just going to read the poem for you. And on my friend David's advice, I'm going to attempt to do it dispassionately and not infuse it with any meaning whatsoever. At the Fox Inn, the tattered ears, the fox's grin, mock the dead years. High on the wall above the cask, laughs at you all, the fox's mask. The horn is still, the huntsman gone. After the kill, the fox lives on. Death's date is there in faded gold. His eyes outstare the dead of old. Beneath this roof, his eyes mistrust the crumbled hoof, the hounds of dust. You will not call. I shall not stir when the fangs fall from that brown fur. The fox in the tattered ears, the fox is green, mock the dead years. High on the wall above the cask, laughs at you all, the fox's
While we're on the topic of bitter songs, I can think of no better example than the Michelangelo Lieder of Hugo Wolf, which were his final compositions before he was institutionalized, dying six years later in a mental hospital. These are texts of Michelangelo that were translated by Walter Heinrich Robert Tornau, and this is the song Alles endet, was entsteht. Everything must end that has a beginning. All things round us perish, for time is fleeting, and the sun sees that all things round us perish. Thought, speech, pain, and rapture, and our children's children, vanished as shadows by day, as mists in a breeze. We were also human beings, with joys and sorrows like your own, and now there is no life in us here. We are but earth, as you can see. All must end that has a beginning. All things round us perish. John Constable is once again the pianist in this 1979 All Wolf recording. Yes. 
After all those very bitter texts, I do want to mention that spirituality was a very important aspect of the life of Norman Bailey, and that for 65 years he was a practitioner of the Baha'i faith. As I wind up the Norman Bailey section of this episode, I want to play two further excerpts for you. One is another Hugo Wolf song. This, like so many of Wolf's greatest leader, is set to a text by Eduard Mörike. It's the song Abschied, and if any of you remember, I also featured Jorma Hüninen doing this song on my birthday episode for him earlier this year. But I think that Norman Bailey and John Constable have a wonderful approach to this very, very amusing song in which a critic appears at the door of the poet and proceeds to criticize the size of the poet's nose and to find fault with various other aspects of his appearance and personhood. At the conclusion of the song, Mürke tells us that the critic stood up. I lit his way, and as we stood at the top of the stairs, I gave him, in the best spirit, a tiny little kick on his ass. What a noise he made! Never in all my days have I seen a man go so quickly down the stairs. 
and it all concludes in a joyous and gleeful Viennese waltz. Sofort nimmt er das Licht in die Hand, er sieht lang meinen Schatten an der Wand, rückt nah und fern. Nun, lieber junger Mann, ziehen Sie doch gefälligst mal Ihre Nato von der Seite an. Sie geben zu, dass das ein Ausdruck ist, das alle Wetter gewiss. Hi, Hasen! Ich dachte nicht, all mein Lebtage nicht, dass ich so eine Welt nase hört im Gesicht. Der Mann sprach noch Verschiedenes hin und her. Ich weiß, auf meiner Ehre, nicht mehr. Meint er vielleicht, ich sollt ihm beichten. Zuletzt hat er auch, ich tat ihm leuchten. Wie wir nun an der Treppe sind, Da geb ich ihn ganz frohgesinnt. Einen kleinen Tritt nur so von hinten aufs Gesessen mit. Alle Hage war das ein Gruppel, ein Gepurzel, ein Gehuppel. Like Carmen Balthrop, Norman Bailey was a devoted teacher, and I've really enjoyed reading the tributes to both of these artists from their students, both past and present. I just want to mention again for my dearly beloved listeners that I am producing a bonus episode today that features further examples of Norman Bailey in opera and in art song. In most of the operatic excerpts, he is joined by other distinguished singers in duet, including Geraint Evans in Falstaff, Carol Neblet in Flying Dutchman, and Montserrat Caballé in Zalome. So don't miss the bonus episode. How do you not miss the bonus episode? You become a supporter of mine on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash countermelody, and for any amount from $2 on up, you can gain access to a magnificent library of bonus episodes that I have already produced. The episode today will be episode 27, so I've been hard at work 
and I really do appreciate your support. Finally, from Norman Bailey, I have a 1975 performance from an album that was made as a fundraiser for the ENO. All of the artists on this benefit recording went into the studio and recorded their operatic selections with piano accompaniment. So here, Norman Bailey is accompanied by the pianist John Barker, and he sings O du mein holder Abendstern from Tannhäuser. And what I want you to listen to and enjoy is how he approached this repertoire very much like a leader singer. And I suggest to you that in spite of his powerful voice that we've heard in Wagner, Strauss, and Verdi excerpts, that what's most exceptional is the great care that he takes with the text. Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
Impossible though it seems to me, September 16th this year was also the 44th anniversary of the death of Maria Callas. I've not spent nearly enough time talking about Callas on this podcast, but for me, she is the great genius of opera in the 20th century. Lately, people have begun reassessing her contribution and finding her overrated, overvalued, too generously assessed, and somehow generally less significant. Yes, there are some Kalas freaks out there who can find no fault in what she does. I find her vulnerability is what touches me most deeply about her. For me, there is no greater example of Kalas's artistry than a performance which was done under the baton of Georges Prêtre on French television on the 18th of May, 1965. She sings the recitative A se una volta sola and the aria A non credea mirarti from La Sunnambula. I never imagined that I would see you wither away so quickly, O flower. You have faded away just like love which lasted but a single day. Maybe my tears could lend you new life, but to revive love? No, that my tears cannot do. What people see of this performance these days is just of the aria, but I have here a complete performance of the scene, and this I present to you as Exhibit A of the greatness of Maria Callas. You hear... Callas, with perhaps just the vestiges of a voice, a whisper of a voice, and yet rarely, if ever, did she produce a purer sound. Every breath is infused with meaning. If this performance doesn't move you to your core, you better check your pulse. And I'm not kidding. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on this journey through four great artists, Jane Powell, Carmen Balthrop, Norman Bailey, and Maria Callas, each of whom has contributed immeasurably to the beauty that is still to be found in this world.
my dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. <laughs>